Well, good morning, everybody. Um, happy Easter. Uh, we've been, uh, every, every Easter, like as a preacher, I always know what I'm going to preach on. There's never like a, hmm, what should I, what should I do today? Um, so I start reading through like all of the Easter stories and all the four Gospels. And um, this year, I've, I just got hung up on um, Luke's account of the resurrection. And um, so if you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, and um, we're going to kind of walk through it today, but I love Luke's account of the resurrection. It is so unedited, um, like nobody knows what the heck is going on, and um, nobody expects Easter morning. And like, I love it when people are like, well, I think, you know, maybe the the resurrection was a hoax and things. It's certainly, if it was a hoax, it, it, the followers of Jesus were certainly not in on it. Um, they had no idea what in the world was going on. So allow me, as you turn to Luke 24, I'm going to kind of set the stage for you for what I'm going to be getting into um, today. It's Easter morning. The, um, the women get up early and in the morning with spices to embalm Jesus's dead body. That's, that's, their, that's the thing they're doing. That's the thing that they do. They're on their way. They come upon what would have felt like, to many of us, a, a crime scene. Um, it must have been scary. It was certainly unexpected to every one of these women that um, were going there that day. The tomb was opened. The rock was rolled away. And most surprisingly, Jesus' body was nowhere to be found. And um, if that's not disorienting enough, all of a sudden, two angels come out of nowhere and give them a jump scare. And they're like, they melt down to a heap. They're freaking out. And the angels have a message for these women. And they just say, he's risen. He's not here. He's risen. And the women finally gather themselves back together, and they run back to tell the disciples what had happened. In verse 11 of Luke 24, we pick it up, and it says this, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense to them, Um, which is, it's kind of, it's a little comical to me. like, I'm sure there was a little bit of mansplaining that was happening. Like, did you turn right at the big oak tree, you know? Did you, did you follow the deer trail? It's clearly marked, you know? Like, those types of things, thinking the women went to the wrong tomb or they just didn't look hard enough. Um, I don't know why these women would invent a story like that, um, but nobody, nobody believes them. And so Peter decides, you know what? I'll take care of this. So he runs to the tomb, and he sees the strips of linen folded neatly, and he leaves, and in your Bible it says this, he leaves wondering to himself what had happened. The, the beauty of, of the Easter story is that nobody expected nobody. Like, the, the women expected a dead body to embalm. Peter expected that the women just followed the wrong trail, didn't go to the right tomb, and didn't, maybe they didn't look hard enough. He's in the back left corner. You know what I mean? Like that they didn't see the the dead body. The tomb is empty and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And they're all wondering what in the world happened. Now, pause. I don't know about you. Growing up in the church, I, you know, we always hear this story, the Easter story. One thing I've always wondered, and I've never really heard people just talk about it, is this question. 
where did Jesus go? Like, I, I've, I've wondered this since I was a little kid. Like, what was so pressing that Jesus had to go to? Like, what does a previously dead, recently revived person have on their agenda that, like, they have to vacate a tomb that quickly and can't stick around for a bit? You know what I mean? Like, it seems, it, it's always been odd to me. Like, like, what in the world is, like, why? What's, what's going on here? Um, and you might be surprised by the answer, and we're going to get into that today, so keep that in mind. Um, verse 13, the very next verse, starts out by this. Now, that same day, Easter Sunday morning, two of them, two of them meaning two disciples, two of followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus that was seven miles from Jerusalem. So it's Easter Sunday morning, the tomb is empty, and rather than these two people going, joining the search party to go look for Jesus, these two decide to leave town. Like they're it's the exact same day. They're aware of what's going on. They're aware that the women came back. They're aware that Peter saw and nothing, and they don't know where Jesus is, and they just decide. I think that they were heading back home. Like, the gig's up, right? Like, Jesus didn't turn out to be the guy, the political leader, the insurrectionist that we thought he was going to be. It didn't turn out the way that we had hoped. It's over. Let's just, let's just go back home. I think they were probably confused. I think they were disillusioned. I think they were hopeless. I think they were wondering, what kind of cult leader have we been following for the past umpteen months? Like, this, this did not turn out the way that we thought it was going to turn out. Verse 14, it says this. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Verse 15. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus, the risen Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. So let me get this straight. Jesus rises from the dead. And on his agenda that day was not to call a press conference. It wasn't go to the temple and call down the angels so that he could flex his spiritual muscles to all the people that, you know, pretty much were responsible for his death. He doesn't post a selfie on Instagram and says, like, hashtag happy Easter. Like, nothing. Like, he does nothing that I would want to do if, if I was just risen from the dead and wanted to show everybody, you know, ha-ha, I got you. Um, he spends his first day as resurrected king on a dusty road running after two people who were walking away from him. He spends his first day looking for people who, who weren't even looking for him. And what I love about the grace of God is that the grace of Jesus will chase you down even when you're headed in the wrong direction. Amen? And those who know it, know it. <laughs> um, not only that, here's what I love about this story. These two guys, these two followers of Jesus, aren't even that significant. And I, and I know they're significant to like their moms, right? But like I'm just saying, like in the grand scheme of things, they're not like big players, okay? Like um, one of them, we get his name, his name's Cleopas. 
which sounds, it's unfortunate, but his name's Cleopas. And <laughs> this, this is the only time that this dude's name is mentioned in the Bible. Um, and so we know that he's not like one of the 12, the big 12, right? But um, which would make more sense. It would make more sense if Jesus was like chasing down one of the 12. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa there, buckaroo. You know, kind of, you're making me look bad. You know, I mean, come on back here. Like, you know what I mean? We got to, we got to keep, the, keep this thing going here. Like, but that's not who Cleopas is. Um, and then the other guy, Luke doesn't even bother giving us his name. We don't even, we don't even know who this guy is. And it doesn't seem that he would be that high on the priority list but they certainly were high on Jesus' priority list on Easter Sunday morning. Listen, if you ever wonder, like, who's on the top of Jesus' priority list, where you're like, wow, it's probably, like, Mother Teresa or, like, Billy Graham or, like, all those, like, celebrity pastor that has, like, a microphone up on a stage. Like, they would be, like, on the top of Jesus' list. Um, Just remember who he was running after on Easter Sunday morning. Remember that. Verse 16. It says, but they were kept from recognizing him. I don't understand what was going on there. Maybe they just had their head down because they were all depressed. They weren't looking. Maybe he just looked disfigured because of all of the things, the scars and things that he had gone through. I, I don't understand. I don't know if it was a spiritual thing that, that was kind of kept from them, that they didn't realize that it was Jesus. But here's the point. They were in the presence of Jesus Christ, and they didn't even know it. Like, how can you have Jesus right next to you and not recognize him, right? But here's the reality. If I'm honest with myself, it happens to me all the time. Doesn't it? Like, it probably happens to you. Like, so many times, there are times in my life where my own disappointment will cloud my vision. There are times where, where my own doubts will start to just kind of deaden my hope for him. My sin, my own shame will create obstacles of me actually seeing Jesus walking right beside me the entire time. And sometimes I feel like I'm all alone and I don't see him. Honestly, there are times when life is just so overwhelming that I, I am kept from recognizing Jesus right in front of me. Especially if I'm not looking for him. Because we rarely see what we're not looking for. And it always amazes me um, how two people, I mean, even like, let's just, I'm not trying to call you out, but like here this morning, Easter Sunday morning, it always amazes me how two people can be in the same worship service. And one of them, you know, the lady that's like, raised tears. I mean, heart, soul, mind, all into worshiping Jesus. Like, and you're like, wow, she's really into this thing. And, and then the person next to her is in the same worship service, experiencing this, the exact same thing in the same room, and they're thinking, that Easter ham better not be dry again this year. <laughs> right? Not again. Or I will call down fire from heaven. Right? You know what I mean? Like, like both in the same worship service, right next to each other, having completely different experiences of the presence of Jesus right, right next to them as they're, as they're worshiping. Um, the, the reality is this, like you can sometimes be in the presence of Jesus and not recognize him. And these two disciples were walking in the wrong direction and they're absolutely blinded to the reality that Jesus is walking right beside them. 
And then it gets, it gets comical. Um, verse 17, Jesus asked them, what are you guys discussing together as you walk along? In other words, it's kind of like creepy. He's like, hey, guys, what you talking about? I like talking. <laughs> and they're like, they literally, I picture them almost stopping. Like, like whoa, where did this dude come from? He's like, <laughs> the risen Jesus is running down a dirt road to get to these two nameless guys, right? Um, and verse 18, it says, one of them named Cleopas, there it is, you made, you made it in, um, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Their underwords, they're like, um, have you been living under a rock or something? That was an Easter joke. That was a good one. Come on. I'm sorry, not sorry. All day long. It'll be better in the second service. All right. They're like, you've been living under a rock or something, dude? He's like, absolutely, I have been. Um, that was good. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I hear that. Um, and so I have to wonder, I have to wonder if Jesus' answer was said with a little bit of smirk on his face when he says, what things? What things? And they say, well, about Jesus of Nazareth? A duh. Um, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and, and our, our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they, they crucified him. But, but, we, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one. We hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. They, they had hoped that, but Jesus didn't turn out the way that they had hoped. And so they lost hope. Because when your hope is in hope itself, you will always be disappointed in hope. In other words, they're kind of just like mourning the loss of what they thought was going to happen. I don't know if you've ever been there before. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but like, you ever been in the place where like, you thought that something else was going to happen. You, you actually had hope that, that it was going to turn out differently. And it doesn't end up the way that you had hoped. And when that happens, well, we find ourselves kind of like these two guys going down a road that you shouldn't be on and actually headed toward a destination that you really don't want to end up in and not recognizing the living hope that is walking right beside you. And so they continue telling Jesus about Jesus. In verse 22, they're like, yeah, not only that, in addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, huh, but they did not see Jesus. I love the fact that in these three verses, verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, these guys literally preach the Easter story. That's the Easter story. But what's weird, here's the caveat here. They're preaching the good news as though it were bad news. 
Like you just read that out of context, take 22, 23, 24, and just take a boop, boop, throw it up there. You're going to be like, oh yeah, that's the Easter. That's the Easter story, man. That's awesome. That is what, hallelujah. But they're preaching the good news as if it were bad news because they had no hope in it. There was absolutely no hope in it. And this is why you can preach the gospel to someone and it can be like bad news or old news or barely news at all. Because the good news of Easter becomes great news to those who place their hope in it. Like all of a sudden now, just the news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has no hold on you until you put hope in it. All of a sudden you realize that it is very the hope for not only your, your eternity, but for your temporary. And watch how Jesus responds to them. He says in verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus is like, you think, you think I'm the idiot? You think I've been like, living under a, a rock here? Like, you just preached the gospel, y'all, like it was depressing. And then he reminds them. This is Jesus reminding them about Jesus, even though they don't know that it's Jesus. Verse 26. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus preaches the greatest sermon never recorded. And he reminds them about how the Old Testament continually points to him. And I titled the message Mission Impossible because um, the mission of Jesus was not only highly improbable for him to be able to accomplish, it was virtually impossible for him to accomplish on his own. Um, he fulfilled at least 300 Old Testament prophecies. And so many of them were written hundreds of years before he was even born. And because of that, so many would be impossible for him to be able to even orchestrate on his own. Let me just give you a few of them that would be very difficult for you to be able to orchestrate on your own. The first one, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5. Now, it's very difficult. I don't know how many of you orchestrated pre-birth where you would be born, right? You thought, yeah, I'm going to you, you don't get to figure that out. You're just born into a family. You're born into a place in, at a hospital. You don't get to choose. It just happens. The second one, the Messiah was to be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. It's very difficult to figure out how much money your friend's going to get when um, you're betrayed by them. Third, the Messiah was to be born of a virgin. How many friends do you know that are born of virgins? It's a difficult one to, to pre-orchestrate. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna throw that out there. Isaiah 14. The Messiah was to be killed by having his hands and feet pierced. It's very difficult to orchestrate and instruct your torturers just how you would like to be killed, right? Psalm 22. The Messiah was to be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53. It's very difficult to tell people ahead of time, hey, make sure that I'm buried in another guy's tomb. Talk about mission impossible. None of those really could be orchestrated ahead of time. It was left up to prophecy. Like, honestly, Jesus could have just, as he was walking down this dirt road with these guys, he could have just read Isaiah 53 to them. Let me read it to you. He was despised and rejected by mankind, 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and was, we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. You would almost think that this was an account of Jesus' death. Yet it was written 700 years before he was even born. But here's the clincher. By far, here's the clincher. What Jesus was telling his disciples before he was even dead. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna go. We're gonna go to Jerusalem. You guys are all gonna come. We're gonna, I'm gonna suffer a lot of things. They're gonna torture me. I'm gonna die, but just remember, remember this, guys. I'm gonna be, any, one, two, three. Remember three days, I'm gonna rise from the dead. That's crazy talk. That's crazy for anybody to start talking to the, the group of followers that are around them. This is where I'm going to go. They're going to torch me. I'm going to die. But one, two, three, bing, 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 I'm back up. Just wait, count it down. And none of them were ready for it because it's crazy, right? And so even after this Bible study that Jesus is walking down with these two guys, they still don't see him. They're like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Luke chapter 24, verse 28. They're still walking down this dirt road heading to Emmaus. And as they approached the village to which they were going, the seven-mile journey, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly. They're like, oh, no, 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 stay with us. It's almost dark. It's nearly evening. The, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Can I remind you? that Jesus is always a gentleman. He waits until you invite him in. So if you're frustrated this morning that God isn't doing something, have you invited him into it? Verse 30, 
Watch what he does when he's invited. He's like, no, 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 come, come stay with us. Verse 30, it gets weird. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Now, let's just be really honest. This is a weird thing for a visitor to do, is it not? You go to somebody's house, you go, and they're like, no, 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 come down, come down, let's sit, sit down. No, you, you could sit right here. We're going to serve you dinner. And he's like, no, how about I serve you? So he takes Cleopas's bread at Cleopas's table and starts breaking it up and, and, and taking over the dinner. This is really strange to me. Like, but the truth of following Jesus is that Jesus is never really interested in just being a visitor in your life. Do you know that? And maybe you can relate to this. Like if you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, we invite him into our lives and we're really cool with that, right? Like, absolutely. Um, Jesus, come on in. I don't want to go to hell. Come on in. Please, please, please stay. And then he starts meddling in our personal affairs. Have you noticed this? Like if you've been a Christian, you're like, yes, it's been a week. And he is like, stay in your lane, Jesus. <laughs> I noticed that. Yes. He starts like, you know, I'm fine with him visiting. Like I've invited him into my life and I'm excited about him being my savior. I don't want to burn in hell. That's awesome. Like, but then we get offended when he comes in as Lord. Can I encourage you, please don't get offended that when you invite Jesus in, when he starts cooking in your kitchen. He's not, he's not really a good visitor. He waits for you to invite him in, and then, but please don't get offended when he starts breaking your bread. Don't get offended that when you invite Jesus in, he wants to rearrange your living room. You're like, well, excuse me? You're a guest here. You know, like, this is my living room. You can go, right? Like, please don't get offended when you invite Jesus into your life that he has an opinion about who you should be sleeping with. Please don't get offended when you invite Jesus in as a visitor and then he wants the password to your iPhone. Like, excuse me? Uh, that's for me. I'm, like, nobody has that. Please don't get offended when you invite Jesus in and then he wants to go through your closets. He's a gentleman and he waits for your invitation, but make no mistake, he comes in as Lord. He always comes in as Lord. And so he takes the bread and he, and he gives thanks. And he breaks it and he begins to give it to them. And in verse 31, it says, it is then, it is it, this specific moment, their eyes were opened and they recognize him. Now pause here for a second. I don't know what happened here. These guys... He runs up, he catches up with them. They're on a seven-mile journey. They're talking with him. He's preaching to them, the best Bible study never recorded. Then they're like, no, 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 you stay with us. They, they sit down at dinner. He uses the restroom. Maybe they wash his feet for him. You know, I don't know, all this craziness. And it's not until he breaks the bread. And I wonder, I wonder as, if he, as he broke the bread and he began to give it to them that they saw the scars in his hands. I, I wonder if it was just the way that he did it, like he had done it so many times before, like he did it when he broke the bread and fed the 5,000, like he did it at the Last Supper just a few days ago. 
It's not written down here, so I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but like I wonder, I wonder if he said those words that are still echoing in their ears. This is my body, broken for you. And all of a sudden they realize, all of a sudden they see it, they, they realize that the hope that they thought they had lost had found them all over again. And they begin to start asking a question that I think that only a person who has truly experienced the presence of Jesus could understand. Verse 32. They say this. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I'm telling you what, that question if you know what that meant, then you know what that means. Like, if you know, then you know. Um, and maybe you're experiencing it for the first time today. Maybe even in worship today, you're like, yeah, I kind of can read. I know what that's like. Was not my heart burning within me during worship service? Was not my heart burning within me during that conversation? Either way, when our heart burns, God is always calling us to respond. We see what they did in verse 33. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Why don't you stand with me? These two guys, Cleopas and the other guy. We're walking seven miles in the wrong direction. And now they turn in the dark of night to run seven miles back to where it all began. And maybe, maybe you can relate today. Like you've been walking in the wrong direction and you feel like, man, I am so far down this road. Pastor Justin, you have no clue. You don't even know. It's like, it's, I've done too much. I've said too much. I've been here before. I've committed this. I've done that. I, I've strayed too far down the road. Good news. You can always turn around and come back home. You can always turn around and come back home. A setback is, it merely paves the way for a comeback. Maybe you can relate to these two guys today. Like, you aren't even looking for Jesus, but he's looking for you. In fact, he's like walking right beside you, and maybe you don't even recognize him. And once you do, you can't help but follow him. I don't know where you are this Easter. Um, maybe you've been walking in the wrong direction and this is your comeback. Maybe, maybe you're seeing him walking beside you for the first time in your life. Maybe you've, you've, you're like, yeah, I, I actually know what that means when you say, like, my heart burning within me. I just want to encourage you to respond to him today. So many times we, we go through this life and 
We're not even looking for Jesus, and yet it is so comforting to know that he is willing to double down on the first day of the resurrected king to chase down two people that are walking away from him. If you want to know if you're on his priority list, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to invite you to respond to the Spirit of God today. And we're going to end with one last song today. But if, if you can relate at all to this this morning, where you're just like, man, there's, I don't know what it is that God is doing in me right now, but there is a wrestling, there's a burning on the inside. It's just simply the Holy Spirit just calling you out. Not calling you out to bring shame, guilt, or condemnation, but calling you out and saying, you're meant for more than this. Stop walking away. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. So I want to I want to I want to pray with you today. If if this if that's where you're at today, just between just between you and the Lord today. If you're in this place and you know that you just are sensing God is wanting you to respond to him today. And you don't necessarily know what that means, what that even looks like, but you know that when you say like, man, is our heart not burning within us? You just know that God's calling you for more. I want you just, just between you and the Lord, just slip your hand up. Just, yeah, that's me. That's me today. Yep. All right, just slip your hand up. Let him know. Yep. I want to just lead you in a, in a, in a prayer to get, if you, if you raised your hand, you're like, this, that's, that's where I'm at. I don't necessarily know what this is all about, but I know that God's calling me. Maybe you pray this prayer with me today. And all of you are Christians in here. You can, you can say this as a validation, as an affirmation of the, that decision that you've already made in your life. Jesus, I need you. I invite you into my life today. And I open my heart to you. I repent of my sin. And I give you control. Break my bread. I give you my past, my shame, my everything. And I make you my Lord and Savior. I'm all in. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that, that made that heartfelt prayer today. Lord, I pray that today would be the beginning of a journey as they walk back home. Lord, I thank you that you are walking beside them even when they didn't see you, even when they didn't recognize you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to order their steps, that the setback would be a a comeback, an opportunity for a comeback in their life. Lord, have your way. Let's worship Jesus.